Our Old Testament reading for this morning is from Psalm 116, the whole thing. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for all that you have made. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you supply our needs, that you give us things not just to take care of our bodies, but to take care of our souls as well. Lord, we thank you for for your word. That is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. We ask that as we hear it read and proclaimed this morning, that by your word and by your spirit, that you would continue the work of transformation in our hearts and lives, that we would be made more and more like Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Therefore, I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay, I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. We turn to the New Testament, our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16, which you may recognize as the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 says, Now when he saw the crowd, being Jesus, He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it on a, and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Our sermon text for this morning. We've got 2 Corinthians 4, the entire chapter. Got some long readings this morning. I realize that. But they're all good. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. As Paul continues his letter to the church in Corinth, as we continue looking at what it means for us to be those who are living and delivering the good news of Jesus. And he talked in earlier in chapter 3 and said, such, is the confidence, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We talked about that two weeks ago. And now he picks up that thought again and says, Therefore, in chapter 4, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we make it plain, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. But we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people 
may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have been talking about being transformed by God's word, by his spirit. And we've been talking about how this needs to take place in our lives first and foremost before we share that uh, news, but also in the ways that, that as we share that news, we continue to be transformed. So we don't wait until that work is completed in our lives before we begin to share it. But even as it's going on in our lives, we share that news. And yet, as we look at the transformation that has to take place in our lives, I heard a sermon, oh, maybe a week and a half ago now, on the radio, and as I listened to it, it was one of those that was simultaneously quite discouraging and encouraging, if you know what I mean. The same time, it was, I heard the sermon, and I'm not even going to tell you the topic. We'll leave that aside. You can insert your own topic. But as I heard it, I thought to myself, you know, as I look back on my life and where I am now, I can see just how far God has brought me because I am not where I used to be on this particular topic. And that is, that is wonderful news. On the other hand, in that same sermon, it definitely showed me again just how far I still have to go on that particular topic. And you can choose any topic. That's how it goes. And so as we look at the transformation that needs to take place in our life, when we look at the calling that we have been given to spread the news of Jesus to the entire world, and as we come up against opposition, both within our own hearts and lives, as well as from without persecutions in the world, those who reject the message entirely, it would be really easy to get discouraged. It would be really easy to say, you know what? This is too big. I can't do this. And I'm just, I'm, I'm tired of trying. I'm done. Paul had been ministering for years when he wrote this. And at this point, he had seen a lot of reason for discouragement. He had been beaten up for his faith. He had been through shipwrecks. He had had a lot of opposition from people that he used to be close to. And yet he begins this section saying... Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. It would be tempting to do so, and yet he says we have good reason not to lose heart. And the reason really comes down to verse 7, when it says we have this treasure in jars of clay. 
and that's two-part. First is the treasure. The treasure that we have, which he describes as being something of eternal value. Of eternal value. You think of anything that you can buy on a late-night infomercial here. There is nothing of eternal value that's being sold on late-night infomercials. Although, to listen to them talk, you might start to wonder. But you know, even if you send in your credit card information, you get the product home, it's just a matter of time before it breaks down and you need to replace it and get another one. But he says what we have is a treasure that is not going to wear out, that is not going to need to be replaced. We worship Jesus now, and you look, flip on to Revelation, and you see what's going on in heaven, and it's still people gathered around the throne worshiping Jesus. This is going to go on forever. It is eternal. And so he says, what we don't need to do is try to spin things. Use the infomercial people again. Kind of picking on them today. To spin things just to make a sale. To make it sound different than it really is. He says, no. We don't use secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception. We don't distort the word of God. All we do is we set forth the truth plainly. And everybody can see that what we're doing is saying what it is we believe is actually true. And you know this is the case. When we're saying things we know people aren't going to like. They're not going to agree with. When we're not just scratching, itching ears to say what they want to hear. But we're not only choosing those parts of the word of God to preach that are flattering to the people who are listening. But when we take the word and we go through the whole thing and we preach the whole thing and we set forth the truth plainly and say, this is what it is. Now what are we going to do with that? But it is a treasure, which is described as being a light in our hearts. And he says, even if it's veiled, though, as we set this truth before people, there will be some who just walk away, who don't understand the value of the treasure that's before them. He says, as long as what we are doing is setting forth the truth plainly, it's not us who are keeping it obscure and keeping it covered so that people won't hear it. Our job is to say it as plainly as we can, as clearly as we can, to be understood by as many people as we can. And if people still don't understand, if people still aren't getting it, it's not because the message is veiled, it's because the unbelievers' hearts are veiled. You can make the light in the room as bright as you want to. But if someone refuses to take off the blindfold, they still will not see any of the items in the room. 
But he says the God of this age is blind to the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's disagreement on this. I think the God of this age, though, is actually Satan. And that does not mean that he is a God in any real sense, but only that he is the one that people turn to apart from God, the one true God. And so while he is not the God of eternity, he is who this age runs after. The people of this age continually turn to him, believing the lies, and therefore are blinded to the truth. Pray, pray, pray. That the veil would be removed. That the ears would be opened, that hearts would be softened. That light would shine in the darkness of every human heart. We have this treasure. But he says we have it in jars of clay. The reason for that is to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And he goes through this whole description of how we have difficulty over and over again. If you were presented with the gospel in infomercial form... You may have heard something like this. You have problems in your life, but Jesus will fix all your problems. Therefore, come to Jesus. You'll never have a problem again. Unfortunately, that's not the Jesus we find in the Bible. And that's not the life that Jesus lived, neither is it the life of any of his disciples. In fact, what we find, talked about again and again, is the closer you follow Jesus, the more suffering you're likely to encounter. And yet, he says, none of those things, none of the sufferings can destroy us. They cannot destroy the real us. They cannot destroy our faith. They cannot destroy our relationship with God. They cannot, as Paul writes at the end of uh, chapter 8 in Romans, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, yes, we may be hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Yes, we may be perplexed. We may not have any idea what's coming next or what we should do right now. But we're not in despair because we know who's in charge. We may be persecuted. But even through that difficulty, we know that we are not abandoned. That he is with us through it all. And though we may get struck down from time to time, we know that we are not destroyed. You may remember the story of Gideon. When God took his army and said, that's too many people. What we're going to do is we're going to take it down smaller and smaller and smaller. Until he has an army of 300 people to go up against, I think it's 135,000 people. Those aren't good odds. And then, as they go to battle, they don't take swords. So you have 300 relatively unarmed men up against 135,000 warriors with swords. And the reason God says to do it this way is so that when they win, 
victory is assured, that God will get the glory. And so they go and they do as he says, and they take trumpets and they take torches in clay jars. And when the time comes, they break the jars, the light shines out, the people get confused and start killing each other. And the victory is God's. When we hear Paul write about this light that we have in our hearts, but yet it is, it's in, this treasure is in clay jars, I always think of that story. And how the light doesn't get out until the jars are broken. And the ways in which in our mortal bodies we may expect that once we receive Jesus as our Lord, that we will just continue getting healthier and wealthier every day. But that's not the case. And if you have known anybody to have known anybody who has been very close with God and who has gone through a great deal of suffering through illness through grief or you could say they're jar of clay was broken you know what it's like for the light to shine forth out of a life like that and so Paul says we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body as we live as we face all the troubles of this world do so and we face them even as a way of showing the victory of Jesus even in the midst of our suffering and often particularly in the midst of our suffering it says in verse 13 it is written I believe therefore I have spoken with that same spirit of faith we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence we read that psalm earlier I believe therefore I have spoken and in that psalm it's in the context of suffering the psalmist is hurting he's in pain he's sick and yet he cries out to God in the midst of it because he still believes He doesn't turn away because things have gotten hard, but he draws closer to God than ever and cries out to God from the midst of his suffering. And Paul says, how much more can that be the case for us? When the psalmist was writing this, he had not yet seen that Jesus was raised from the dead. We've seen this. Jesus died, but he was raised again. And Paul says, we know that the one who raised Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. So as we face suffering, how much more reason do we have to continue speaking, to continue crying out to God in faith? Therefore, verse 16, therefore he says, we do not lose heart, which is where we began today. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day.
I'm having a birthday this week. No. Always makes you a little more aware of your own mortality than at other times of the year. And once again, I am thankful that I am in ministry rather than professional athletics. May not have had that thought before. I have it often. (laughs) The reason is this. When you get to be my age, in professional athletics, most sports anyway, football, basketball, those sorts of things, you watch them on TV, somebody my age, the commentators will always say, you know, at his age... He should have retired years ago. (laughs) And you start looking at this old man at this age. But in the Presbyterian church, you go to a meeting of other Presbyterian pastors, those in the ministry, and everybody makes comments about how young you are. That's a very different perspective. Same age, very different perspective. actually heard this it was a long time ago and I may uh, I have no idea where I got this I may have a doctor back me up or correct me either one that the age at which your cellular growth is outpaced by your cellular death is age 25 and so when you are a baby you're growing more cells than you're losing at age 25, you kind of hit that peak, and then it starts down the other direction. Is that about, that sound about right? About right. Am I off by 10 or 15 years? <laughs> about right. Okay. <laughs> what that means is, those of you who are here who are under 25... Right now you hear this, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day, and that pretty much is in one ear and out the other. Say, wasting away? I don't think so. But for all those of us who are over 25, (laughs) you know what that feels like. You know what it means for your body to be wasting away, where you can't do the things that you used to be able to do. And you know that those things... There's some things you just have to say no to. Say, I am now too old for that. And I know that. My body can't do what it used to do. And you sense the feeling of that wasting away in our bodies. And yet, he says, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. And you think about what it is. We think of this treasure that we have in jars of clay. If the more our jars are broken and cracked open, the more the light of the glory of God and the face of Christ shines out through our lives, then our bodies wasting away doesn't have to be the worst thing that happens to us. Often, in the midst of illness, our initial prayer is, God, fix this. Heal the illness. Make me healthy again. I wonder if maybe our prayer primarily shouldn't be, God, whatever you do, whether you heal me or not, may you be glorified through this time in my life. If my body is cracked, may your light shine through. 
Not that our bodies aren't important. Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. He does care about our bodies. He does care about our life here and now. But it's a matter of priority. And we see that before he prays, give us our daily bread. He says, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he concludes. So we fix our eyes. I will go back just one more verse. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If we look for those things that will last, recall in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, after speaking at length on love, talks about what will last and what will not. It says, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. Now we see, but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. When we look around at the things in our lives, those things we come in contact with every day, what is it that will last? Faith, hope, love. C.S. Lewis puts it also, your neighbor says you have never talked with a mere mortal. Think about that. If each one of us is destined for eternity, styles will not last. Products will not last. But your neighbor will last. Jesus says to seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. But the two great commandments are to love God and to love our neighbors. We have this treasure in jars of clay. As we go through this week, and we not fix our eyes on our broken places as much as in the light that comes forth from them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.